This podcast was recorded for the Sound Environment Show on Radio Galari. Radio Galari is a community radio station based in the Kimberley, Western Australia. For more information, go to www.galari.com. We're seeing a lot of changes to the renewable energy landscape. But can the Kimberley go renewable? That's the question we're asking today, and we're talking with Dr. Mark Diesendorf. Dr. Diesendorf is a lecturer in environmental studies at the University of New South Wales, and he's previously worked at CSIRO studying wind power. Welcome, Dr. Diesendorf. Oh, glad to be with you, Kat. Well, we're also very pleased to have you here tonight. Um, speaking on the topic, can the Kimberley go renewable? Just to kick off, what are some of the myths that you think need to be busted about renewable energy? Oh, well, I think the main myth is that renewable energy is alleged to be too unreliable for providing electricity systems for towns and cities and states and territories. And certainly our studies suggest that a combination of different renewable energy sources or renewable energy with uh, diesel generators can be just as reliable as the existing systems. And I know that um, when we're talking about some of the larger grids in the country, it seems that there are ways to um, set up those grids to take into account the intermittent nature of some forms of renewable energy. But, there, you know, some people are still sceptical. I mean, what do you think on a national scale? Can, you know, could Australia's main grids go renewable? Definitely, yes. Um, we've been doing simulation modelling of the so-called national electricity market with 100% renewable energy and we're using only technologies that are commercially available now. So we've got this mixture of flexible sources which are very reliable mixing in with the variable sources. So so that's how we could run the large-scale system. What about here in the Kimberley? We've got a lot of uh, small towns, they're not in, interconnected and they all have very separate power supplies. Um, how feasible is it to move to renewables in this context and also, I guess, given the remoteness of the region? Okay, well, I have to confess first that I haven't yet visited the Kimberley, although it's high up on my list. You should come. To do. <laughs> yes, I'd love to. Uh, but what I do know is that the Kimberley has lots of sunshine which is a fantastic start. Now, I'm pretty sure that your main source of electricity at present would be diesel generators. And there are a number of remote towns in Western Australia that have very successfully combined diesel generators with renewable energy. Now, in the case of Broome, I doubt there would be much wind power, but there is loads of solar power. And one can increase the reliability if one has a mixture of the two main types of solar power, that's solar PV, solar photovoltaics, which uh, until now don't don't have any storage with them, although battery storage is coming along and will be gradually playing a more important role over the next decade. And the other solar source is concentrated solar thermal power. So this is not a rooftop technology. It's an on-ground technology where you have lots of solar concentrators uh, concentrating sunlight to produce a hot 
fluid which can generate power during the daytime directly using the heat to turn water into steam and turn a steam turbine to generate electricity. But also it can be some of that heat can be stored during the night time in tanks of molten salt. And then generation can take place during the night, provided there's been enough sunshine in the daytime to heat up these tanks of molten salt. So initially, I guess I would imagine that in the, the Kimberleys, in the remote townships, uh, you'd have a mixture of solar PV and diesel. And gradually, also in the larger townships, start building concentrated solar thermal power stations as they gradually become less expensive. Uh, there's also You also have very big tides in the Kimberleys That's for those on the coast, but the problem with tapping tidal power is it really needs to be done on a very large scale to be economic. And because the population is very low, it would be very hard to justify a tidal power station in the northwest. Uh, which is so isolated from the centres, the really dense centres of population. So I'd say initially uh, there's huge potential for rapid growth in solar PV and then a bit further down the track um, some concentrated solar thermal power in the larger communities uh, can help make that system more reliable with um, diesel playing the role of a backup source. Mm. Uh, Dr. Mark Diesendorf, the in-broom, the transition town concept, uh, the concept that we need to transition from our reliance on fossil fuels to uh, local resilience, uh, this transition town concept is gaining momentum. What advice would you have for community members who want to see this change? Um, you know, what can people who are living in a community like Broome do? Well, um, they can do what communities have been doing all around the world, but particularly in places like Denmark and Germany, but it's beginning to happen more in, in Australia, and that is to get together to develop their own community-scale renewable energy. And in the case of Broome, for example, uh, you'd be looking at a, a community solar power station, solar PV power station. And it's then a question of negotiating with the local electricity supplier uh, to uh, feed, to get a power purchase agreement so that uh, a fair price can be received for uh, either for feeding excess power into the grid. But the, the main benefit is actually the, for the community to provide their own electricity and only feed excess power into the grid because the... Um, the situation at present is that most electricity retailers do not pay very much for solar power fed back into the grid. So the main uh, financial benefit is to generate your own power or either as a household or even better as a community and avoid buying expensive power from the grid. But there's all sorts of different models, people forming cooperatives and companies and other um, structures and negotiating. Uh, if they want to feed into the grid, they have to negotiate with the large-scale electricity suppliers, which can be quite 
difficult at yeah. times. We've certainly had some challenges here with um, restrictions put on the amount of additional rooftop solar that can go on in Broome. Um, well, yes, and if people get together and organise, they can become a much stronger negotiating force because I think it's really unfortunate that some of the electricity retailers and distributors are basically making it very difficult for people to install solar. They're feeling um, the electricity industry is finding that their business models are being undermined by the growth of solar and instead of welcoming solar and try and changing their business models to accept that the old-style centralised electricity industry is, has to change, they're sort of fighting a rearguard action to make it as hard as possible for people to uh, install solar. So, I, But I think there are groups um, around Australia, there's a group called Solar Citizens. These groups can exert very strong pressure on the electricity industry and on state governments to, um, to change restrictions to make it so that it'll be easier to feed solar in, in, into the grid and easier just to generate solar for one's own use. Before we go, Dr. Mark Dieserdorf, I'll just mention your book. It's called Sustainable Energy Solutions for Climate Change and there is quite a lot about citizen action in there. Your book is quite new, but I'm just wondering if there is anything new or exciting that has um, come to your attention since you wrote that book? Well, I think the main thing, since the book came out last year, the main thing is the further collapse of the business models of the electricity industry. It's been very it's rapid, been, hasn't it? It has been very rapid. And, what's, and solar has been one of the main contributors to that collapse. So the old business models depend on the electricity retailers selling as much electricity as possible. But what's actually happening is that the demand for electricity from the grid has been declining, uh, partly due to the growth of rooftop solar, partly due to the, to the high price of retail electricity, which has encouraged people to use electricity more carefully, more efficiently. And so the result is that the electricity industry is selling less electricity and then to try and compensate for that, they have to raise the price of electricity further, which encourages more people to try to go for solar and <laughs> to use their electricity more efficiently. So it's sometimes called the death spiral, and um, it's quite obvious that the old business models of the industry are collapsing, and the electricity uh, retailers that are more future-oriented are starting to realise that they are going to have to change their business models. So it, it's a new industry that is emerging. It's very exciting, but we can't predict exactly how it's going to go. But one thing is sure, that if, if electricity consumers and the community at large organises, then they will have a lot more say in the direction of uh, future electricity generation. Dr. Mark Diesendorf, thank you so much for talking on the sound environment about renewable energy. Well, thank you for inviting me, Kat. <laughs> You're very welcome.